Hello. Hey, Alex. How are you? Good. How are you? They came back. I know. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to our podcast, How to Be Queer. What's your name? My name is Kim, and my pronouns are she, her. Who are you? <laughs> my name is Alex, and my pronouns are they, them. You did wear aviator sunglasses this weekend at the pumpkin patch, and I referred to you as Maverick the entire time. You also had on a tank top and cargo pants. <laughs> Just saying. <laughs> We were those people in the pumpkin patch. It's all fine. This is true. Well, welcome to our podcast. You're back again. This is How to Be Queer, where we talk about the experience of being queer in a heteronormative world. We're super excited to be back. And we're excited that you're back. Yeah, thank you. So we are powered by Youth Scene. You want to tell them all about Youth Scene, Alex? Go check out Youth Scene. We are on um, youthscene.org. We support S-E-E-N. If you need resources, um, outreach, connection, whatever you need, go check us out and donate. Hit the donate button because we're a highly produced podcast and we need the dollars. So send some support over to Youth Scene. Alex, we got some folks in the podcast room with us today, and it's not just Captain Underbite. Not just Captain Underbite. Nope. You guys want to say hi? Hi. I'm Kim. Hi, Kim. Kim. We've got another Kim in, in here with us today. <laughs> Kim, tell us who you are. I'm Kim Dillon. My pronouns are she, her, hers. And I'm here today to talk about my daughter, Ravina. So we're going to get to daughter Ravina in a few minutes. Thank you, Kim, for being here. You want to say what's up going on over here, Dr. J? I am Dr. J. <laughs> <laughs> you got to enunciate. You got to enunciate. My pronouns are they, them. Dr. J is here in support with us today with Kim and Kim is going to share with us, as she said about Ravina, this episode is coming to you as part of the transgender day of remembrance. So Alex, do you want to tell everybody a little bit about what the transgender day of remembrance is? And then we're going to turn over and make some space for Kim Dillon, who's here with us today, which is funny because I always refer to you as Kim Dillon. You're never Kim. I'm always like, it's Kim Dillon, Kim Dillon, right? It's funny. Because you're, are you a Kimberly? Yes. See, I'm not. I'm a Kim Ann. I'm a Kimberly Ann. A Kimberly Ann. Are you A-N-N or A-N-N-E? No E, just A-N-N. Me too. Mm -hmm. I'm an A-N-N. But my parents felt that Kimberly Ann Salvaggio was like too long. Too many letters in kindergarten. (laughs) Too many. I was not that bright. And they're like, this kid, there's no way we're going to have to shorten it to Kim Ann. They couldn't have been more wrong. I, I pretty much became Kimmy growing up because yeah. there were multiple Kims and my last name started with E my maiden name. What was your maiden name again? X X, but it's spelled E K X. So I became, yeah, I became Kimmy. Kimmy X. Mm-hmm. That's a really cute name though. <laughs> get that Kimmy. I know I get called Kimmy still by a lot of people, but I'm not a Kimberly, just a Kim Ann. Look at that. Okay. So uh, I'm sorry. And we're getting it back on track. Alex, do you want to tell everybody about our trans, what is transgender day of remembrance? Yeah. So specifically it's an annual observance on November 20th that honors the memory of the, of the transgender people whose lives were lost in the acts of anti-transgender violence. So this episode is coming to you because we want to honor this day. We want to honor the experience of our transgender friends. And so Kim, yeah, you're here to share with us your story and Ravina's story. Right. So I'm going to let you, where do you want to start? What feels best for you? Where do you want to start telling us about Ravina? 
Well, I think we probably, for context, um, Ravina, she, we lost her. And so I think that's probably um, where we kind of want to start yeah. to let people know that's where we're coming from. Um, she came out as a transgender woman um, when she was 24. And then it was a rough, rough ride. Yeah. for her. And, um, we lost her to suicide about a year after she came out. And, um, so yeah, I want to talk about her. I want to talk about her journey. Uh, she was an amazing soul. Well, we're really grateful that you're going to share her story and her memory, not just with us, but with our listeners. So just really grateful to have this space with you. Yeah. I know that, um, we do reach a lot of people in the community that have found our podcast helpful. So by putting her memory and her legacy out there, you never know who it might reach and who it might help. So thank you yeah, for doing this with us today. I'm happy to be here. So start us off. Like, so you said 24 years old, mm -hmm. tell us a little bit about this journey prior to 24 when Ravina told you who she was, right? She Ravina was. Oh, she was the epitome of kindness. You know, she was just this compassionate, compassionate soul from the time she was born as this little, little sweet munchkin. Um, she was just that little one that wrapped in your arms and, um, her compassion and her sweetness just exuded from her. Uh, when Maddie, my second was born. She was born about four years after Ravina. Ravina was so tender with her and that just, um, her compassion was, mm -hmm. I think one of her key qualities that made her who she was. So she was an older sibling that like made a lot of space for her, her sibling coming in. Yes. Right. We're like, not all siblings right. are like that, where they're like, no, it's my show. Right. It's my parents. Who are you? What are you doing here? But no. she like really made a lot of space for Maddie. She was so all about being the older sibling. She was so tender. We have the cutest pictures of her just, you know, touching Maddie's head and looking, just gazing adoringly. And she was that kind of a sibling all the way through. As I say, did she stay like that as Matt, as her and Maddie, Maddie got older? Mm, pretty much. Okay. Maddie might have a few different stories, right? <laughs> like middle schoolish. Mm -hmm. <laughs> but yes, in fact, Maddie was the first one that Ravina came out to. Oh, no kidding. Yeah. Yeah. She told Maddie they both girls were home for Christmas and the girls went out um, to go to a museum for the day. And she told Maddie, when she was home for Christmas and she came out to my husband, Corey and I about a month later, but yeah. So when you say came out, cause sometimes like when we say come out, we mean, Hey, I'm coming out with orientation or I'm coming out with identity. When you say she came out, how did she come out? Um, she came out as a transgender woman. So this was about her identity, not right. about orientation. Right. Okay. That was sort of secondary, um, for her orientation was always kind of fuzzy. And, um, even after she came out, I think she was still figuring out her orientation, but this was her gender identity. When she said, I am a woman and I need you to know this. 
okay, I have a feeling there's probably some steps like looking, looking back. Did you have an idea before she told you or, or tell us a little bit about what that experience was like? I did not. Um, because I didn't have the experience. I didn't have the knowledge. If me now raising Ravina as a little, little kid, I would have caught on. I would have had different discussions, but I didn't know the word transgender. And, um, I just, she was the sweet feminine side of this child that I had. And, um, and so I think looking back, I can see some things that, oh, that would have opened up the door to a conversation. And if I had the knowledge that I have now, we probably would have sussed it out and been able to have those conversations. Um, but at the time, no, I thought maybe the sexual orientation, like we were going to have that discussion when she was ready, but this was not, I did not see this coming. When you say like looking back, cause I know this is one of the things that we talked about is, you know, you had said there were, there were things like looking back, you're like, right. Why I could have, you know, what, if, if I said this or we, you know, I, I, I hope you aren't playing too much of like the, cause we all know that the woulda, shoulda, coulda game is not necessarily the best place right. that any of us want to go. But would you mind sharing with some of our listeners? Like when you look back, what are some of the things that make you think if we would have sussed this out, what were some of those things? Right. Well, she even told us when she came out that she didn't realize until she was teenager, she didn't make that connection for herself. Um, she was super, super smart, like genius level smart. And so she'd gone to a gifted school and she actually told me, um, when she came out, she said, you know, I grew up those young years in nerd world. And she said, nerd world is gender neutral. And so, and you think about it and you know, that the space that she was in gender was secondary. And so I don't think she thought too much about it when she was young. And it was kind of when puberty hit that all of a sudden she was like, Whoa, what is happening to my body? This is not right. And, um, we could see her depression kick in third grade was when I went and started getting counseling for her. And, um, and so I think we started, we started with counseling. We knew she was suffering, that she was, she was struggling with something. Um, and, you know, as she got older, one of the, the stories that I can think of is, I don't know. She was probably third or fourth grade and now it's problematic. Um, I don't think they do it anymore, but gender bender day that they used to do gender bender day. It would be during spirit week where, you know, kids dress up different for each day of the week. So gender bender was you dress as the opposite of what you were assigned at birth. Mm -hmm. Okay. And oh my goodness, this is problematic. Like super right. Yeah. Could we just like open up a can of worms right here? I mean, (laughs) that reminds me of like the powder power powder puff, like football games. Like I fucking hate those. They're Mm -hmm. so harmful. This is fast. This is going to be another topic, but okay. Sorry. I didn't know. I've never heard, I guess in my little small town of Pennsylvania, like we didn't, we didn't do gender bender day, but okay. Mm -hmm. I'm sorry. Keep going. Yeah. So at that point she had she wore some of my clothes. She went into school. 
had the, she actually had the best day, like <laughs> dressed, you know, in my clothes and she came home and she was like, oh, my friends totally thought I was a new girl. And one of them thought, oh, that I was this cute new girl. I, they totally, and she was beaming. And I, I was like, well, oh, how cute. You know? Yeah. And I think, oh my goodness, she was beaming. She, that day for her to be seen female. Um, well, cause she was being seen as who she really yes. was. Yeah. 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 And I think, oh, that would have been an opportunity had I known to talk about gender, to talk about how she felt, who she was, how it felt to be seen that way. Um, yeah. So I think there were, and that was third or fourth grade. Mm -hmm. Okay. So as she went through high school, did you, was she still being treated for depression? Did Mm, you see, did you get any other inklings into who she was? Um, yeah, she, she suffered with depression pretty much her whole life. Um, she struggled and, you know, as she got older, she, um, like, you know, she even told us she really was trying to figure out who she was. And at one point she went online and she was looking up, took a, I think a test to see if you were male, female, whatever. And as she's taking this test, one of the questions said, do you like math? (laughs) She, she, she was like, fuck that. Right. (laughs) Do you like math? Okay. Like side note here. I love math. And when I was in, now granted I'm Gen X and sometimes I feel like as old as dirt, but I was, when I was in high school, I actually had a math teacher who told me, actually told me girls aren't really good at math. So I'm probably not going to call on you a lot in class. This was 1993 that this happened. So like not that long ago that teachers and, and, and listen, teachers, I love you. Don't come after me, but we have to acknowledge that like, we, we absolutely have had a gender bias when it comes to math and science with with girls. Mm-hmm. So Ravina was right on to be like, you're asking me about math. Right. Like, and so seriously? She, she hit like, she closed that page. She was done. And I think at that point there weren't resources. She couldn't find the resources to even identify what it was that she was feeling. So at that point, she, I think just kind of told herself, well, I'm just a really feminine guy and decided and kind of went through the emo stage. And she, she wore like when she shopped, she shopped in the women's section for jeans. She had, um, you know, like this cute little hoodie that was in purples and pinks. Um, but she still presented primarily as male to the world, but these, yeah, these little things. Um, and one of the other things that I want to tell you even before high school, when she was in fifth or sixth grade, she came to me and she was telling me there's this author that's going to be at the Boulder public library and they're doing a book signing and can we please go? So I took her to this and her name is Tamara Pierce, this author, and she wrote fantasy books and the, um, the lead character is female. It's a heroine in the story. And I think once again, a female author with a female lead character opportunities for discussion and to be able to have talked about what it felt like to read this, these books that had a special meaning to her. 
Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So there were all these little things on the way that I think with the knowledge that hopefully most parents have now, or that is at least available, these conversations are kind of natural or these opportunities are natural conversation starters. So Dr. J, I'm going to bring you in for a second. So for our parents out there that are listening and Kim saying like, Hey, looking back, I saw all these little, little things. Are there things are like parents, like we should be just more aware of, or like maybe where your kid is sending you a signal. Like what do some of those things look like? Well, even as Kim Dillon is telling the story of her child, <clears throat> hold on. We got a microphone. Adjustment. Sorry. My bad. My bad. Go back. Um, yeah, talk right it's, into these, it. it's these moments of, you know, kids know as young as five, because it's before society really puts those filters on children to say, no, this is what you're supposed to be doing. This is how this is set up. If you are born with this sex, this is how you're supposed to be acting. Um, This is what you're supposed to like in school, math, science, you know, like there's these gender roles, even within learning. It's such fucking bullshit. Right. Which is why now, like we have the language because I mean, there's, there's research out there that shows the more free that you allow your kid to be, the more creative they're going to be, the more successful they're going to be in the sense of authentically, they get to show up who they want to be. So like these little stories that you, that you're sharing with the memories, like, yeah, they're moments, but overall, like they're so small. So it's, it's, it's those moments where it it is easy to overlook. And I know the parents beat themselves up where it's like, oh my God, I'm going to totally ruin my kid. No, like it's society, you know, these little things where it's fun to have dress up day, but it's also fun to just be yourself. Like as you're, as you're sharing this, um, I still remember a story that my, my mom still tells me when I was like five or six years old, we used to fight every day about what clothes that I was going to wear. And she opened up the closet and she was like, just pick, I'm just, just pick, I have to go to work. And I walked in there and I pulled out a pair of pants that were plaid and a striped shirt. And she I'm put just going to say stripes and plaid do go Listen, together. They do well go together. I, I knew style back then. Yeah, you did. <laughs> she pulled out a dress. Ooh. What did I do with this dress? Did you rip it up? I took it in the bathroom. Did you flush it? And I put it in the trash. <laughs> she was so mad. Was it a Laura Ashley dress? <laughs> it, was, it was flowery. I will tell you that. And I was like, that's that's not okay. What? Give me some plaid pants and a striped shirt and I'm good to go. And a pair of sneakers. Are you having, poor Alex, I think that everybody's heard this story in our podcast before that your mom like dressed you in what looks like a Laura Ashley comforter. I, I say, I can, I say it now because my mom and I are, she's, you know, you're one of my biggest allies, mom. Um, and I can tease her about that because it's just, now it's funny. The picture of you, like we have to put the picture up on Facebook on our, on our, how to be queer social media, because it is the most amazing picture of the saddest person ever to wear a Laura <laughs> Ashley quilt dress. And you're like crossing the street in the picture. And you look like you're carrying a football. Like <laughs> you look like you're about to score a touchdown in this dress. It's amazing. Okay. Sorry. We're, we're but this is, you guys know this, this is what we do in our podcast. We always got to add bits of joy and in, into our stories, but yes. do you have a picture of your plaid pants anywhere? 
I probably do. Okay. I probably do. I will show that. <laughs> All the things I used to dress for like a year, like Marty McFly. I'm going to need to see this. Oh, I know. We need to post this. Ask Grammy and G they're in the other room. I mean, there's some amazing pictures of me, like in full on Marty McFly. However, that being said, like, you know, we all end up where I, I, I feel very affirmed in my identity, but I didn't want to necessarily like look the way that the other girls did either. And that had nothing to do with my gender identity. It just had to be like, I wanted to be able to move and do things. And sometimes you do look at like the girl's clothing and I'm like, how are you going to run around and do stuff in this? Mm -hmm. You can't anyway. All right. So Kim, tell us more, um, in your notes that we we've kind of gone over the, you know, you really want to share really what her life was about, which was really full of kindness and compassion. So, but she's, you said like, you know, she was struggling with depression You were starting to see what you thought may have been, you were thinking more sexual orientation Mm -hmm. than gender identity. How did she start to tell you who she really was? And when did that start to happen? Hmm. Well, I think she always felt pretty comfortable to be herself with us. Um, she, she had a pretty strong sense of self other than this than her gender identity. Like she felt confident. I think that she could, she was quirky. She was super funny, quirky, and, um, she owned that. And so I think who she was to the core didn't change. Um, and she, even in a letter that she wrote when she came out for me to give to family members, she even said, I'm still going to be that same quirky person that is full of puns and, and this, so it was, you know, she let me know something was coming a few months before she came out to me. Um, okay. As a mom, how did you sit and wait and be patient? Uh, right. Uh, right. That had to have been, cause your kids like, Hey, I'm going to, did she tell you like, mom, I'm, I have something that's coming that I'm going to tell you. She had a depressive episode and she had stopped. She was going to school for software coding and she called me and she said, I haven't gone in like two days. I haven't shown up and you can't, this is an intensive program. And, you know, I said, well, talk to them, let them know what you're going through. See what we can see, what they can do. Um, And at that point she said, I'm just really going through something. And she said, I'm, I'm figuring some stuff out and I'm just, I'm going through something. And that was something for her to tell me that because she struggled with depression. And this was something that we always were dealing with. Um, but for her to tell me there's something that I'm dealing with. Um, and so of course we had that whole conversation, like, do you want to talk about it? Do you want to can, can you tell me, do you want to come over? You know, yeah. <laughs> you know, you can tell us anything and we're going to support you and, and love you. And, um, so it was, so I knew something was coming that she was, something was percolating in her. Did you think that it had to do with her gender identity or that wasn't even on your radar? No, there, um, well, we had gone over my husband and I, 
Corey, Ravina's dad, we had gone over to her apartment and I saw some um, female clothes that were like in the corner of her apartment. So that did, I was like wondering what was going on with that. And um, because I didn't figure she had had a woman staying with her or at her house that was leaving her clothes. Um, so I was curious about that, but I, it still, I did not make that connection. So at that point, it was more within your, like within your, we've got a dog issue here, Rosie, that's <laughs> the goodness, but well, it was more, thing. you've got, you've got a cuddle buddy. He's usually like when we podcast, he's usually tucked behind me. Okay. But you, that's really interesting that for the space that you and Corey were in, that when you saw women's clothing in Ravina's space, you thought, okay, I don't know if this would be a woman that's in Ravina's life, but it, it didn't necessarily connect you that they were, they were Ravina's. Right. Okay. Right. So she tells you, mom, I've got something I'm working through, which is big. I'm going to want to talk to you about it. And then how long do you have to wait until she tells you what this is? <laughs> that was in November. Okay. She came out in January, like mid January. So it was, a, it was a good wait. And when she came out to Maddie, her sister, she told Maddie, she was like, don't look at mom. Don't give anything away. Mom is going to know, like, if she sees you, if she sees your face, you're going to give it up. <laughs> mom is intuitive. Um, but she just wasn't quite ready. I think she needed a few more steps before she was ready to come out to Corey and I, and, um, so, yeah. So, so can you share with us a little bit about like, so how did she tell you? Yeah. Yeah. She graduated from a coding school. And so we went to this little graduation thing that they had, and then we took her out to dinner afterwards and she did it right away. She sat down. We hadn't even looked at the menus and she was like, I'm going to rip this bandaid off. And we were like, okay. And she said, I am a transgender woman. And Corey and I both kind of stopped in our tracks. Like what? Like it wasn't even something that we understood right away, you know? And, um, but, but the reaction right away was I grabbed her hand mm -hmm. and said, I love you. I love you. And, um, same with Corey and asked her all the questions she had been going, um, to a therapist and through the, um, oh, now I can't remember the gender, the transgender center of the Rockies. No. It was, I think it's closed now. I think now like the center has taken over that role, mm -hmm. but she'd been seeing a therapist there since September. So for six months or so. And so she was solid and was ready to tell us and which was great. I think for us to have her be really confident in what she was telling us and knowing her, there was no questioning. We didn't question her at all. Like, are you sure? <laughs> right. Um, did you have a moment though, that when she told you, did you have a moment where you were like, that's it like this? Did you have that moment or were you in, were you and Corey in, in shock? I think we were more in shock, more in shock than the, that's it. Yeah. I think that like, 
everything, you know, just changed in your world. Yeah. And so there was more of that, like shock and, and seeing life in a totally new way. Um, what was it like that night when you and Corey went home to go to bed together? Were you just like holding on to each other? Like what just happened? Here's the thing we had, he was already downtown and we live North. And so we drove separate cars. So we had to get into separate cars and drive home separately. (laughs) Oh, Oh man. So when you, but when you got home, did you guys, do you remember that night? Did you? Yeah. Yeah. I think there was a little of just, um, that shock, that disbelief, a little bit of like gut punch, to be honest, like what, what just happened. Um, and then like, let's figure this out. Okay. Let's pause for one second and we're going to come back and I want you to share Ravina's letter. Yes. Okay. Okay. We're back. I, you know, everybody knows that we're a really highly produced podcast <laughs> and that Alex and I have a house with four children, two dogs and a cat. My gaggle. My gaggle. <laughs> we're, we're, we're a crew. We have a 15 year old who's taking, cause we're, we're, um, recording this in the evening. And so he's taking our 15 year old is taking his shower before, you know, he's going to do, cause he goes to the gym and does all the things. And he's singing the pina colada song at the top of his lungs <laughs> in the shower. I'm like sitting here thinking, how does he even know the song? Did somebody do it on TikTok where he knows like the first minute of the song? But he's like, he, I was getting tired of my lady. Like, he's <laughs> singing it. And here we are, we're talking about this, like, you know, I, I don't know, maybe this is like even Ravina. Did Ravina really- love that song or? <laughs> It's actually, it's like, I think he's might be channeling Ravina right now. now. Well, you know, there is a, there is a lot of joy in that song and I'm happy our 15 year old is putting on a one man concert right now in the shower to the pina colada song. (laughs) I know your face is amazing. Alex, you're looking at me like this is our life. That's great. This is our life. And this is great. Okay. Kim, would you be willing to share? So Ravina tells you and Corey, Hmm. You guys, did you, how long did it take you? Like, just as a mom, like, what was that experience then? Because this is obviously she is going to come out to the rest of the family. Right. But when you really settled into it, into your skin, like, how did you feel? It was a mix of emotions, really. Um, Immediately I was on board. I was like, okay, what do we, I'm, I'm like that. What's next? What do we do? How do I help you? Um, but at the same time, it was every emotion. It was every emotion. It was intense pride that she was so brave and that she was willing to sit with this and, and be who she, she was fear in knowing what she was going to face in the world. Um, happiness and that maybe there would be these different connections that she might make that this maybe, well, this is a, this is the answer. Like she, we know she's struggled her whole life and she's had depression and she's had all of this stuff. Like, well, th- maybe this is the turning point. Right. And then, you know, the sadness about, um, the change and what I, how I saw her 
before. And, and that took a minute to, um, let that go and see her for who she was. Did she tell you her name? Yes, she did. Okay. Mm -hmm. And did you have, cause we've had other guests on that have talked about the word grief, right? Did you experience that? Well, that's a hard one because I have experienced real grief. Yeah. I lost her. Yeah. I lost her, lost her. So compared to that, no, (laughs) right. but at the time it was a form of grief, Mm -hmm. I would say, because I was losing something that I thought I had had my whole life. And I was losing, um, what I thought the future was going to be. Yeah. And I got okay with that. Um, but it took a minute there was sadness around that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So she tells you her name, tells you who she is. Mm-hmm. You experience all the emotions. And then she tells you she's going to tell the rest of the family. Right. Well, she was ready then to present full-time as Ravina, And we're together as a family a lot mm-hmm. with grandparents. And, um, and so then I'm like, well, okay, how are we doing this? Um, and it's we, cause I'm mom. Yep. <laughs> I will do everything uh, with you. I am your mother. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. Mama bear. Watch out. Oh, that last, uh, podcast I was listening to too, that you said something about a mom's that we shape their hearts as moms. Mm-hmm. And I was out on a walk and I started crying when, oh. when you all said that because it's true. But, mm-hmm. um, So at that point, it was my discussion about like, okay, how are we doing this? Uh, What do you want to do? And she, she was afraid. She was like, it was a lot for her. So I said, do you want me to do it? Do you want me to tell some of these people, some of the family who you love? And she said, that would be amazing if you would do that. And so she wrote a letter, but we, Corey and I delivered the letter and talked to everybody about it. Um, and so I guess I kind of came out for her. (laughs) Yeah. Did you have any concerns about the, or did she have any concerns about the family members that she was going to come out to that they wouldn't be affirming? Not the immediate family members. I think there was certainly fear about how people would react, how things might change, but, um, I think she knew that she felt uh, confident in those bonds and that love. There was one grandparent that was estranged. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, do you, she actually asked me, do I have to, do I have to come out to this, to this grandparent? I said, no. I said, if you, if you feel empowered to do it, and it would make you feel like powerful, then go for it. I said, but no, absolutely you don't owe this person anything. And, um, and so that was one that she did not come out to, um, but everyone else, yeah, she came out and, um, overall everybody was supportive and accepting. We had family members that just, some of them dove in and did the research and sent the letters, grandparents that were very, um, just reached out and stayed connected to her. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah. 
Would you be, are you willing to share her yeah, letter? Yes, okay. Yes. And we would love to hear it. Okay. She wrote, dear family, there is something important about me that I need to share with you. I am transgender. Since I was 12, I have struggled with the idea of being male. I almost constantly felt that there was something wrong with me. And there were very few nights when I went to bed comfortable in my own skin. I tried for years to convince myself that I was just a guy with a feminine side, but I kept coming back to a sinking feeling of self-rejection. Over the past few months, I've been thinking a lot more about my future. Even now that I have the opportunity to go into a career doing something that I love, I can't imagine myself happy as a man 10 years down the road. I finally have the confidence to admit to myself and to you that I am a transgender woman. I finally feel hope. I finally feel that I can make lasting and meaningful relationships with other people instead of retreating inward. I finally feel that I can be proud, not just of something that I've done, but of the person that I am. I understand that you have seen me as one thing for 24 years, and it is going to be difficult to see me as something else. That doesn't mean that any of the fundamental things about me will change. I will still jump at the chance to tell you about some barely relevant, interesting fact or to make a bad pun. I will still care about you and love you immensely. For the past five months or so, I have been presenting as female whenever I have not been at school or around family. Since graduating and coming out to my parents, I have been presenting as female almost all of the time except for in job interviews. Once I get a job offer, I intend to come out publicly and fully transition to living as a woman. One of the most awkward parts of this transition is using a different name, as it seems kind of weird for an adult to ask to be called a new name. Still though, there aren't a lot of women named her, her dead name, she wrote. So I'm going by Ravina. The best thing that you can do is keep an open mind as I transition. It would mean a lot if you referred to me as Ravina and used female pronouns. That said, I absolutely don't want anyone to feel they have to walk on eggshells around me or they cannot talk to me. The step of coming out is really difficult for me, hence the letter, but I absolutely would love to talk on the phone if you have any questions. Love, the person formerly known as, and wrote her dead name and then she said, AKA Ravina. I think she's a beautiful letter. Yeah. Do you know how she picked the name Ravina? Yes, I do actually. She was a gamer as a kid and she played a game called Riven um, that actually Riven, it was about an, an island that split and was broken and you had to put it back together, which is such a metaphor, (laughs) but I didn't know this, but when, even as a younger, as a young kid, her, um, avatar, her gaming persona was Ravina. So she was Ravina way before I knew she was Ravina. So what happens after she comes out to family? Tell us more about her story. Um, so after she came out, she had this sort of rosy period where everything felt good and exciting. Uh, she got a job at, uh, as a coder, this little company. Um, she right away told them she interviewed, um, pre-transition, pre-presenting as Ravina, 
Um, so before her first day, she just sent an email and said, just need to let you know for email and everything, like it's actually going to be Ravina. They were great. They were great. Um, and accepting they had invested in DEI training, (laughs) (laughs) go coding company, shout out to realize, (laughs) but, um, yeah, so she, she had this kind of period. She started hormones. Um, she was starting to figure out her style. It was all exciting and wonderful. And then I think it's sort of, as the year progressed, I almost wondered if it was sort of like the idea of Christmas that you anticipate and you think this is going to change everything and now everything's going to be okay. But those feelings of self-rejection, those feelings, um, her depression didn't just go away. And so I think it was almost more crushing to realize like, I still am suffering even now. And, um, yeah, so at that point, uh, how long was the sort of rosy period? Hmm. Just really a few months. Um, it was in May we were in New York. Maddie was graduating Mm -hmm. from school in New York and we all went for her graduation and it became pretty clear being with her for the weekend that she was not okay. And, um, she had kind of a break and was on the floor, could not get her up. And so when we came back, went, um, I drove her to her apartment, said, pack, pack a bag and had her move in with us at that Mm -hmm. point. So she moved back home with us and was there for the summer and working on it. Mm-hmm. She was, we found a therapist. Um, she was working on it, but struggling hard, mm-hmm. struggling hard. And uh, um, yeah, so there was one night where she called and she was working late and she said, I need you to come. I'm not safe. And we're, we had pretty good discussions about open discussions that she was feeling, having suicidal ideation, but safe was the word, you know, I can feel this way, but I'm safe. And so she called me and said, I'm not safe right now. And so I said, do we need to call 911? And she said, no, but I need you to come. So I headed over there, picked her up, um, came home. We packed a bag and went to the hospital and because I didn't know what else to do. Right. And, um, that started this kind of cycle of in treatment and then being released and then going into another in treatment program for a week and then released. And how long did that cycle last? Um, throughout, well, that was in August. So a couple months of 
in and out where they would release her and she would come home and she had some scary moments. Mm-hmm. And so we would bring her back. And um, so I think she had been to three different inpatient um, facilities. She came home, she in throughout this, she had actually bought a condo. She bought her own little place in Chisma Park. Super cute. She was so excited about it. So she came home. She was doing well. We went to Ikea. We mm-hmm. got all the stuff. We set up her apartment. <laughs> and um, there was one night where I just, oh, I felt bad about leaving her. It didn't feel good. Your intuition. Mm-hmm. 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 And we were supposed to get together with a family um, for my birthday, her birthday, kind of fall in the same area. So we were doing a birthday dinner and I called and she didn't answer and she called back and she did not sound right. She did not sound good. And I said, are you okay? And she said, um, I think I took too many drugs or too much. I took took stuff. Like it was an attempt, a suicide attempt. We didn't know that at the point at that when on the phone. So we jumped in the car and headed over there. Mm-hmm. We had a key to her apartment because mm-hmm. we buzzed and she wasn't answering and oh, oh yeah, my heart. It, she was okay in this point, in this, this mm-hmm. story. Um, but I'm sure in that moment for you, well, she wasn't okay. She lived, she lived but in that <laughs> moment for you, you're buzzing her apartment. You know, that something's not right. She's not answering. I imagine as a mother, it's terror. Yeah. Utter terror. And so we got up, we opened the door and she was in a heap on the floor. She had taken all of her like bottles of her meds that she was on other things that I don't want to talk about. Okay. Um, but she was unresponsive on the floor. And so we called 911. um, And so the ambulance came, um, there was blood, there was, it was, it was terrifying. Yeah. Terrifying. Cause this is your, this is your child. This is my baby. Yeah. Yeah. It was surreal. We followed the ambulance to the hospital busted through, they've got security to get into the emergency room is at Denver health. Um, people are like, please go <laughs> because we were like, well, yeah, we are, we're going past you all. Um, so they were able to save her. She was in the ICU for several days, um, had to go into surgery. Um, and then w- went into the mental health unit there. And when she, did you, were you able to be with her when she came through? Yes. Did she say anything to you or did you, did you, were you guys able to talk at all at that point? She, at that point, it was several days. She was in, she wasn't in a coma, but she was the coming off of the meds, like Mm -hmm. detoxing. She was not herself. She wasn't cognizant. Mm -hmm. We weren't having conversations. She was out. And when she could, when she opened her eyes or was there, she wasn't really there. And 
when she finally did come around and we could see like, oh, there she is. She was so depressed. She wasn't, she just didn't talk to us. She, um, she just didn't talk at all. And so, you know, that was a week or so just hospital. Mm -hmm. And then they moved her into the mental health unit. And that, when we went in to visit her the first time during visiting hours, there was a shift in that appreciation that she had for us. Mm -hmm. And that she even said, all I wanted was for y'all to come for you to be here, to be with you again. Um, and telling us all individually how much she loved us. So there was this shift after several days of this extreme depression of coming out of this suicide. She was happy to be with you all. Yeah. She was happy. She survived. Mm -hmm. Okay. I think she was a fighter. I mean, learning more, um, she had struggled with the idea of suicide for years that she hadn't told us about really how close she had come. We have journals of hers. Um, and the strength that she had, the love that she had for us to keep fighting, to want to survive despite her struggle and her depression. She wanted to live. She wanted to be here. She asked for help. She, please help me take me here. I'll do whatever. Mm -hmm. Um, so at that point, um, Denver with Denver health, we were able to find, uh, residential care for her. And so she was in, in residential care for a few months and we lost her while she was in care. Okay. And I know, um, and you, of of course, you just tell me like, Kim, I'm not going to talk about this or I'm going to talk about this, but I know when you did lose her, you were, you were not in Colorado. Right. Right. We, uh, Corey and I had gone out to visit Maddie, our youngest Mm -hmm. in New York. She was living there. So we were with Maddie that weekend. We talked to Ravina on Saturday night. We talked to her on the phone. She sounded great. She was telling us about an outing that she planned for her group. They went to a used bookstore and a coffee shop. And um, she asked me, I was going to go visit her like a couple weeks after our trip to New York. Then I was taking a trip because she was out of state, um, taking a trip to visit her. And she had been moved from... um, She had been moved into transitional living where she was in an apartment with other, with another woman that was also in the program. And so they were being monitored. They were still receiving all of the therapy, everything. Um, so I was going to go out and visit her, see her new place and, and be with her. She asked me if I bring her snowboard. Um, it was a great conversation. She, I don't remember this, but Corey remembers that at the end of the conversation, she said goodbye to each of us individually. Mm. I don't remember that, but. But you remember your last conversation mm-hmm. with her being great. 
Yeah. Yeah. And then it was the next day that we received the call. Okay. And you were across the country. Right. Yeah. 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 Um, we were with, uh, I think the hardest, one of the hardest, that was definitely the worst day right. of my life. And, um, one of the hardest things we had to get in a cab and go over to Maddie's apartment, mm-hmm. knock on her door and tell her what had happened. And that, that night was just, it was hard. It was terrible. Yeah. I can't imagine Kim. Yeah. Do you want to take a pause? No, I'm We're going to, we're going to go. We're going to keep. Yeah. I am used to crying. I cry. I am like, I'm, I'm good at crying. (laughs) Well, I know we were we were with you during this time and, um, let's go a little bit forward in time. Okay. So when you look back now and you were saying like, I guess it really hit me when you were just saying how much she was fighting to survive because she loved you all so much to be here. Right. I guess that's when we talk about suicide, that's not something I hear a lot of people put into words like that, that we don't, I guess maybe we don't talk about how much the person is really fighting to survive. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really grateful that you're sharing that with us of who she was, that she was a, she was a fighter. She was fighting to be here, to be her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. She wanted to live. She wanted to live and she was willing to reach out and try to get the help and, and work for it, I think it just became too much. Can we dig into that a little bit when you say that, mm. when you say like, it just became too much. Cause we've talked about this a little bit about what it is that becomes too much. Right. What do you think that means? Or what do you think that was for her in particular? the depression was real. Um, I think there was all of the struggle that goes along with being transgender that added to what she was dealing with, but she also had this piece of depression that was real and she had dealt with her whole life. Um, and I think she fought it she fought it. She tried. Um, and I think feeling defeated maybe, and that she wasn't, she couldn't quite get there. And I really, you know, I don't know all of the reasons why, but I know that for her, um, for other trans folks. Um, the world is a hard place. It can be mean. It's isolating. Um, there's rejection, there's bullying. 
there's, you know, anti-trans legislation. Mm -hmm. um, it just, all of the things stack up. And I know for her, I think she, she struggled to accept herself in that way too. I think um, she still had some self-rejection about who she was. And she, you know, we talked earlier about her compassion and her kindness and she was, she was absolutely, she had the kindness for every single other person in the world, but not herself. Mm. <laughs> she was her own worst critic. And, um, and so I think she was getting all of these messages from the outside that weren't affirming right. to who she was. As a family, she was getting what she needed from us but the world is a big, scary place and we can't, we couldn't protect her. And so she's been, she's been gone for how it's been. Um, almost four years, three and a half years. Is it fair to ask, like, how has your, like what you knew at the time and what you know now, I, I take it, it changes over time, right? When mm -hmm. you look back and think, is there anything like you had said in your notes, you're like, wow, there was things that here's what I did. Right. Here's what I didn't sure. do. Right. Do you sure. feel okay sharing some of those with us? Yeah. Yeah. I think that night when she came out right away, we love you. One of the things that I'm glad that I didn't say was, um, I love you no matter what. I didn't use that phrase, no matter what, because that indicates that, that being trans is possibly a reason not to be loved. Right. And so I think, um, that's one thing I did, right. Is to just tell her I loved her and it was okay. Um, we had a conversation, like I told you earlier, she had come to me and said, I'm dealing with something. And so of course my mind is spiraling. Mm -hmm. What could it be? Is she taking drugs? Is she drinking too much? Is she, is this something? And so we had a conversation after she came out and I said, you know, this is not, I was afraid what you're going to tell me that we're going to have to fix something. I said, um, this is not something we have to fix. Mm -hmm. We just have to navigate through this. And I think that was something that I look back and I'm like, oh, I'm glad I said those words to her. Mm -hmm. There are things that I wish I had done differently. Um, my fears, I relied a lot on her asking her questions and then saying, well, what about? And um, one of the things I'm I was asking her about hormones and well, what's it going to do? And, and, um, what changes will you see? And I asked her about her voice and I said, it really won't. She said, it won't change my voice. And I went, oh, your voice is so deep. I was like, God, why did I say that to her? And so I think one of the things for other parents that might be in the same position, 
do your own research, figure it out. You just support your kid. You just love your kid. You just let them know it's going to be okay. It's going to be okay. You got me. I'm here. Mm -hmm. Um, and you do your own damn research. (laughs) Um, I just, I, I didn't know what I was doing. I was going in blind. And even at that point, I don't know, was that six years ago? A lot has changed in six years. I couldn't find resources six years ago to tell me what to do. I, I, I believe that. <laughs> That's why we're so grateful. Dr. J is here. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, obviously it's, it's different being a partner than it is being a parent. Mm-hmm. But when Alex came out, I, I've said this on the podcast so many times, I tried to find resources everywhere I could to be a supportive partner. And there was nothing right. Truthfully, it's part of what fuels this podcast. Right. Mm-hmm. As I keep thinking, the connection and the stories and knowing that you're not alone and being, whether you're going through it yourself, like, like this beautiful human that I'm like literally holding on to right now, um, or Ravina or you as a mom, there's healing and just knowing you're not alone. Mm-hmm. And I know, I know when Alex was going through this, that was the thing I kept praying for was that I just wanted to hear or talk or see someone else that could be like, this is what you need to do. Mm-hmm. And I just couldn't find it. Right. There was nothing. Right. Yeah. I, I mean, she told us it was on a, I think a Sunday. I don't even know what day it was. She told us one night, the next day she went back to her school. It was kind of their last celebration day. Um, and she went totally presenting as Ravina. She walked in there. She told me later that her classmates, well, we actually talked to some of her classmates after she passed and they all said, finally, when she came in as Ravina and she had the best day ever. And I remember thinking that day when I felt pretty weighty, I had a lot of weight on my shoulders after the day after she came out to me, knowing she was free that day. And as a mom, her whole life, like, I just wanted to take some of her pain. I wanted to take some of that weight off of her shoulders. And I remember thinking that day, this is the day I'm feeling a little bit weighty today with what she told me last night. She is free as a bird today and she's happy. Mm -hmm. And, um, I just remember that feeling that actually took some of the weight off of my shoulders mm-hmm. <laughs> that day. Uh, thinking, oh, I'm glad, I'm glad to do that for you, baby. Yeah. Kim, what do you want other parents to know? Or what do you, if there had been mm. a resource for you right. as the parent, what do you, what would you want a parent going through this process with their child? What would you want them to know? Um, just to love your kid, just to love your kid. They, like Ravina said, I'm still the same witty pun filled kid that I have always been. That person doesn't change. And, um, so just to love and support your kid and do whatever it is they need. Like I said, do the research, learn, learn. I would also say for 
all parents, parents of young kids. Um, and Alex and I actually had this conversation when Ravina first came out. She, she told me, she asked me, she said, mom, I need you to go to your friends that have kids and make sure they are talking to their kids about what it means to be transgender, give them the language because she never had it. Yeah. I was just going to say, I remember Ari telling me, cause Ari was some, was, I didn't see it coming mm-hmm. at all. It, if it, and I looking back, those little things that were how she would, she put it, she would put sweatpants on her head. Like it was long. And she's like, this is my long hair. Mm-hmm. And, um, but she told me like a little while ago, she goes, cause I, we were talking about, you know, some stuff and she goes, yeah, you just said that there's different people in the world and some people are transgender. And then you explain what that meant. And, and then I, and then literally like the, like she goes the next day, I was like, Hey, I'm a, I'm a girl. <laughs> and even though she'd been telling me since she was like three or four, my soul is a girl, but I know my body's a boy mm-hmm. and I'm like, okay. But anyway, so, well, even in your journey, you said you were 40 when you got the language and that was Ravina was in her twenties when she got the language. And I think that was her ask, give kids the language now so they can understand the world around them, the others that are transgender, or if they are, they have the language. They understand what it is that they're feeling. Yeah. I have a lot coming up right now around my trans coming out. Um, the non-binary coming out was, was really different. Hmm. Dr. J, <laughs> give us the wisdom. Give us all the Dr. J wisdom. I'm not sure there's wisdom to give on this one. I think it's, you know, one of the things that I was thinking about was um, having the language um, and being able to show up authentically. And as I was saying, previous like there's data that shows when you have the language you're more successful and I want to be very specific on what success means and success means accepting yourself finding yourself and being able to be open to have people love you for who you are just a little bit about what we talk about on this podcast yeah like glennon and abby's podcast what's her um tisha's song is to be known is to be loved or to be loved is to be known i love that line i do too and i'm thinking about ravina and i'm thinking that she did get that experience in life to know to her she was known and she was loved right yep Mm-hmm. Yeah. True. Yeah. I'm glad knowing going back and reading some of her journals and knowing how much she struggled in her younger years. Um, I am grateful that she had the chance to introduce herself to us and that we really got to know who she was. I wish we had more time with her. I wish but, you did too. Right. I wish Maddie did too. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So today 
before we um, close out this, our, our time together, what do you want us to know about Ravina's memory, her legacy? What would you like people to know about her? Ravina, the, the transgender piece was a piece of who she was. She was so much more. Um, like I was saying earlier, she was so smart, off the charts, smart, super witty, very insightful. But I think the thing that defines her most, like I said earlier, was her kindness. So many steps along the way. We found out um, after she passed, we got a phone call and it was about, um, oh, it was on her phone. We had her phone and we got a phone call and it was from Children International. And they said, we've been trying to run this card and it's been declined because we had shut down her cards and come to find out once she got her first real job, she started sponsoring a kid. <laughs> she, every month she was sending, the, the, I mean, she's in a starter, she's in a little she studio apartment. She was, she was, she sponsored Gerson is his name. Now we sponsor him, <laughs> but that is just, you know, that was after the fact that we were like, of, of course, when she, um, got her job and she was really struggling with like being motivated and it wasn't about money for her. And she, we went out to dinner one night and she said, here's what I did. I found, she found a couple of different charities. Um, one malaria nets, I think is what it's called, but she literally, she measured her success in how many nets she could donate. How like, many malaria nets? Yes. Okay. Uh -huh. And how much charity water was the other one? How much water, how many wells, you know, what she was contributing. So it wasn't about what she was making or the material things she measured her, her wealth, I guess she measured in what she could give away. And once well, she, she spent two years, was it two years? Um, the name of the organization is AmeriCorps. AmeriCorps. Yeah, she did AmeriCorps. Yeah, she was she was just so fantastic. She started at School of Mines and came home for depression. She was not, it was too much. And we said, that's that's fine, but you gotta find an adventure then. You gotta do something. So she found AmeriCorps and she went and volunteered. It's sort of like Peace Corps, but mm -hmm. just here in the US. She did that. While she was there, she, somebody told her about another program that where she went. So she went and spent a year in China teaching um, preschoolers English and cultural, you know, bridging the cultural gap. And yeah, she was, she was just amazing. She, she yeah. lived her own life. Like she, she packed a lot into those years. It sounds like it. I always think of, didn't she used to have the donuts? Oh yeah. What was tell everybody about the <laughs> Verbena and the donuts? She would, she, she didn't have a car. She had a car when she was in high school, but when she left, she didn't want the bother of a car and she lived downtown so she could walk. So on her way home, she would walk, um, on this path and there was a homeless community that was along this path. So she would buy the 
day-old donuts, a dozen donuts, and pass them out on her way home. <laughs> there was one time where she told us that kind of a scary encounter. And I'm like, child, maybe you should rethink this. <laughs> but <laughs> that was just who she was. She she came home. I'm trying to think if she was in high school, maybe not high school. Maybe it was after graduation. She said she was so excited. She's like, I did this thing today. She went to the library and she wrote like a little encouraging note and put $10 in this note into a couple of books in the library for people to find. <laughs> what a kind soul. That's just who she was. And it, it was just her nothing. I would love to take the parenting credit for that, but no, that is who she was. I know there's um, one more piece that I, I am going to ask you to talk about because I know it matters to you, mm -hmm. but around the misconceptions that there are for our transgender community and, and suicide and mental mm -hmm. illness. And I know you wanted to share a little bit about that with our listeners. Yeah. Yeah. I think we touched on it a little bit mm -hmm. about there is this mis misconception that being transgender is what is causing the suicidal behavior, the attempts. Um, and it, it, uh, it is not, it, it, you know, I think it's not about simply being trans. It's about um, the society's response to being trans. And we talked about it before that discrimination, the stigma that comes along with it. And so I think it's, it's incorrect to think that the link between suicide and being transgender is like a mental health link necessarily. I think certainly the depression was a piece of it, but I think we should ask Dr. J, but, and I'm feeling like that it is, it is society's response mm -hmm. that makes it difficult to live in this world if you're transgender. And I think that the reason I, I really wanted you and, and Dr. J, I am going to ask you to pop back in here with us for a minute. I guess the reason I really do want to make sure we spend a little bit of time on that is our listeners are always asking us for takeaways, right? So they, they spend time with us and they hear our stories and our experiences. And then, well, what can I do? What can, that's the, that's the question people want to take away. So what, what does that look like? So is the question on what can you do as a parent? Like what? Yeah, I guess that's, specific. I'm being very, I'm being very broad and mm -hmm. I shouldn't be, I'll try to be more specific, but if, if we want to be allies, I guess I am not, I'm thinking more broadly than a parent. Um, because I think there's probably a list for parents that might be much deeper than, Hey, I'm just a, a member of society. And I'd like to be an ally to the mm -hmm. transgender community. Maybe we'll, we should start there. What does that look like? I think the biggest part is listening listening with compassion um, and to know that sometimes there's not always answers. And I, as much as I'm, I'm saying that, I know that that is something that people don't want to hear because they, there's always that, especially for parents, like, I want to fix it. My kid is hurting. How do we fix this? And sometimes 
fixing it is responding with compassion and love and to be able to listen um, and to accept, accept people for who they are and who they tell you that they are. Not to invalidate that experience. Right. Right. Mm -hmm. Well, I think listening is something at a bare minimum we can all do. And you're right. For some reason, we make it really hard because we're listening to fix. We're not listening just to connect. Yeah. Um, I know like when I think of, I'm so grateful that you share Ravina and who she is. Cause I know I've, I've never looked at donuts the same. <laughs> yeah. You know, you've got a bench for her. That's got mm. some wildflowers that grow around mm-hmm. it. You don't have to answer this next question. I understand if you don't want to, you can just be like, Kim, come on, move on. <laughs> but do you, do you feel her with you mm. still? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 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 There has been, oh, I've changed. I mean, this obviously is life-changing. It changes who you are to lose a child. I am not the same person that I am. One of the things, um, I've become much more spiritual and, um, Ravina rejected religion. Um, she wasn't, she, she really, if anything embodied Buddhism, tenant, the tenets, the, the beliefs and, um, and so that's one of the things I think I'll never have the answers. Well, I'll have them, but not in this life. I want answers. I want to know where she is. I want to know how she is. And so I think I meditate every day. I've read a ton of books on Buddhism. I planted this garden, but all of these in this kind of attempt to feel closer to her. Some, I know Alex is all about the energy work. They are. And, mm-hmm. and that's one thing um, Alex and I have actually talked about. I, I have done Qigong, which is like, it's ch- getting, creating energy um, as a way to feel close to her, because I feel like regardless, I'm, I feel like I'm in her space when I'm doing that energy work or meditating, whether or not I feel like, oh, she's right here with me. I feel like I'm connecting with a bigger with I'm connecting with the bigger mm-hmm. and she's part of the bigger now. And for Corey and for Madison, do they, do they feel her with them still? Uh, you know, I'm not really sure. I know Maddie and I have had a um, moment. We had one kind of real profound moment. She's a massage therapist and um, she was giving me a massage and she was on my left side and I could feel like Ravina was on my right side. I just felt like both of my daughters were right there with me. And it was the kind of thing where I just felt her there. I didn't want to say anything to Maddie. I didn't want to break it. It was magic. Mm -hmm. I didn't want it to end. So I just kind of bathed in it and, and um, after the massage was over, Maddie and I were hug- hugged and, you know, I was telling her goodbye and she was like, wow, I don't know, but 
I felt Ravina in that. She said, I really felt like she was in there with us. I said, oh my gosh, me too. And I told her at what point, and she said, yeah, I felt her. So I think we had this kind of profound moment together where we felt like she was there with us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I'm sure she is. Mm-hmm. Anything else you want us to know, Kim? Mm. I think Ravina's legacy of kindness, if anything, she would want others to practice kindness, to take a page out of her book, look at the things that she's done. I mean, we touched on a few, but the list is endless. The soul, kind soul. And so I think I would like that to be her legacy to inspire others um, to have compassion. Okay, listeners, you heard it. After listening to this, um, you should be listening to this on a day of remembrance. Maybe go out and find a random act of kindness you can do for someone in Ravina's name mm. and memory. That would be great. And let's put that energy out into the world, whatever yeah. it is, whatever feels like kindness. Sometimes it is those small, unexpected acts that make the biggest impact. Mm -hmm. Kim, I'm so grateful you came on with us. I'm so grateful to have had the opportunity. I want to talk about Ravina all the time, all the time. So I'm so glad to have had this opportunity to come and and share her with you and your listeners. Dr. J, anything else you want to tell us tonight? I think you got everything. You Thanks sure? for having me. Yeah. You sure? Yeah. Okay. Alex, what do you got? Thank you, Kim Dillon. <laughs> I love you. I love you too. <laughs> I was going to say, you guys have been friends for how long? Oh, oh more than 10 years. Yeah. 11, I was going to say 12 years. Mm-hmm. Long time. Long time. Since the beginning. Well, we met at Lifetime. And mm-hmm. that was, that's been like 12, 13 years. It was pre-Ari. Pre-Ari. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. She's We've been through a lot together. You mm-hmm. guys have had a lot of mm-hmm. life together. Yeah. It's wonderful to have friends that long. Yeah, I know. Absolutely. That is a blessing. I love Alex. <laughs> well, folks, we're going to pause here. I think when Alex and I come back on, we're going to just share a couple resources for folks. If you've been listening to this podcast tonight. So uh, hang on with us. We'll be back in just a minute. All right, bro friend. It's you and me. We're going to tell them all the things. <laughs> you look like what are we doing <laughs> do you want like a hot cup of tea and like a Maybe like a hot chocolate like a compress <laughs> you should see bro friend they have like like their hoodie on with like a really fluffy <laughs> blanket over their shoulders huh tell, tell them how i'm doing what oh what i just said like a minute ago that I got really, really, really angry listening. Obviously not because of just because of um, this just societal bullshit. It's societal bullshit. Mm-hmm. I'm just, and I'm just I just got so angry and I've on on different different levels, personal and just societal like it's so not it's not cool 
now I'm trying to make it like funny because I'm uncomfortable, but I like I'm just yeah. Deep breath. I know. Yeah. There's certain things I can only change myself and um yeah, I'm just I'm losing my ready, go. <laughs> go bro friend <laughs> this is where I'm like my words bottleneck because I'm like overloaded with emotions yeah it's grief right yeah. like that's that's the thing that you were talking about is that with grief there's so many emotions that come with it and anger is usually the first one because we we're real comfortable with anger yeah but with all the other ones sadness like how do how do you how do you respond to that we can deal with anger Cause I'm gonna jump on the bandwagon with you and <laughs> vent it out with you. These yeah. fuckers. Yeah. I think I read an article today about um, the throat chakra. Yeah. And I remember talking with you about whenever I would t- tell parts of my story, mm-hmm. I wouldn't even know it. And I would start to grab my throat mm-hmm. and that now like I'll recognize when I start to talk about things that either are hard to say, like, I'll start to at least kind of like do this. And so I'm still kind of like, so it talked about the throat chakra is like really close to the heart chakra and how it's like one of the most, um, powerful sources of strength. Mm -hmm. And that when you are able to push through and, and actually use your voice, like how it just like, I just think of like a, you know, atomic, bomb just the amount of energy that can come out of a person like in a sense and then how that changes how you change everything around you but getting there is really hard talking is like singing it's from the diaphragm pull it from the gut (laughs) and it pulls it all out (laughs) which means pushing air through it <laughs> this is the conversations we have like all the time. <laughs> uh, that's one thing I enjoy that we can literally just go in the clouds and be like, oh, wait, what's happening? <laughs> what are we supposed to be doing right now? <laughs> oh, we're supposed to be doing resources. Resources. <laughs> okay. So um, with the podcast, check us out on Balls of Magic on instagram and facebook you can also email us you can even email kim through us if you wanted to is that okay i just offered that oh my gosh okay um or our bro friend how to be queer podcast at gmail.com we'll make sure that gets the appropriate people mm-hmm. and on our website you'd seen S-E-E-N, S-E-E-N.org. Um, there is a resource list so we have providers of color we have subnational um, resources, the Trevor Project, which will, um, I think they have a um, a menu for each state oh, that yeah. shows affirming yeah. therapists. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, there you go, listeners. Is there anything else on it? You said that's a national level or anything else? Well, it's going to be different for every state. Right. Okay. Um, Cause I know like some of the work that we're doing, you know, we're working with states that don't have a lot of those resources. So just finding those resources that are closest to you. And most of the time it's going online and trying to, to connect with folks. So um, yeah, reach out. We're here. We're here. We're queer. I'm just going to add one more thing. 
right? That the more we talk about the experience and share, yes, the more people can find us and the more you can come together as a community. Yes. So when it's safe for, cause it's never, you know, it's never we, safe. It's never, it's never safe. safe. Um, I always want people to share with us because it just, it makes you feel so less alone. Mm-hmm. And I know like when I was listening with you, Kim too, that the connection of families for people that maybe lose their families mm-hmm. during this, you know, Ravina had a family that, you know, she loved you guys and you guys were there for her. But I think that's partly why we do this podcast, mm-hmm. right? Is that no one is ever truly alone. Mm-mm. So reach out, let us know that you're there. We're here. Email. We'll, we'll continue to be here. Yep. Email. Slide into the DMs on the Instagrams, the grams of Insta. Yep. The book of faces. Mm-hmm. Lots of opportunities, places to reach out. And when you're looking to connect with families, that's Alex's job is to connect families. Yes, my job. I'll help you. <laughs> <laughs> so goofy. You two are so weird. All right. We will, we will be back. This is, this is, I am shutting you down. I'm shutting you guys down because I know how weird y'all can be. (laughs) We're going to end on some laughter and a moment of joy. Hey, do do what the lovely Ms. Dylan is asking you to do. And we are going to put, find some kindness out in your world today. Spread it. Think of Ravina for a minute and um, we'll be back with you guys soon. Bye balls of magic.